Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. So uh, Laura and I recently got back from a nine-night vacation in Cancun, Mexico, and uh, it was it was absolutely unbelievable, this trip. We went with another couple, very close friends of ours, and uh, the resort was amazing, the food was amazing, the service there was amazing, the weather was perfect, the tequila, I heard it was good, I wouldn't know, but that's what other people were saying while we were there. In fact, you know, words just don't even probably describe how great this vacation was, so I brought a few pictures just to show you. Um, here's day one of our, of our trip in Mexico. Yeah, just kind of laying out by the pool, I mean, it was absolutely Absolutely fantastic. Um, day two, here's day two. It's, it's a different pool. Just, I want you to know, we moved around a little bit. Uh, day three was very exciting. Here's a picture of that. And, uh, you know, we did day four, though. Day four, we did, I think they call it an excursion. And at that point, we thought, you know, we probably need a little exercise. So instead of them bringing uh, beverages to us, we decided to get a little exercise and walk to them. And so here's picture four of that. Uh, a nice little, yes, a little coconut water there at the beach. It was, it was absolutely, uh, absolutely fantastic. Now, uh, let me just address a couple things. For those of you that are anxious that during a global pandemic, we went to Mexico, Chase has a fantastic message that deals with that from a few weeks ago. You should go back and listen to that message. Uh, for those of you that are angry that I keep showing pictures of our vacation to Mexico, Chase has a great message that he did a couple weeks ago on that. You should go back and listen to that message. And for those of you that are just depressed that we didn't invite you to come with us, uh, great message last week that, uh, that Chase did, you may want to go back and, and check that out. Now, here, here's the deal, right? It was a great vacation. It really was. But, but if we're, we're all honest, we know that vacations, they're never enough, right? They, they, just, they just aren't. And here's why. There's a, several reasons. For many of us, um, we get in that, that pre-stress mode, right? Getting everything set at work, getting everything ready at, at home before we go, getting the, the pets or the kids or wherever it is they've got to go, that it takes for some of us, it takes three, four days before we can actually begin to relax. Relax. Some of you are, are on the opposite side. You know with about three days left in your vacation, you start to go into re-entry mode and you begin to think about all of the work that needs to be done, all of the meetings you're gonna have to go to, the emails you're gonna have to dig out of, right? And so it becomes kind of stressful for you. There's a lot of us that while we are on vacation and we are resting and we're relaxing and slowing down, doing the things we're supposed to do, but inside the entire time we feel guilty that we're not doing more things. And then there's a few of you that are, are like me. Um, we choose D, all of the above, right? And, and all of those things are, are things that we wrestle with. See, vacations provide a short escape. But the reality is, is that they're not a life of rest. Which leads to this question, why do we struggle with busyness? Why do we struggle with hurry in our lives? 
Now, we, we chose this message in, in this part of the series on purpose, right? Because we know that we've been dealing with some very heavy things over the past few weeks. And we thought this might be a time to actually just kind of breathe a little bit, kind of catch our breath with something. But here's the truth. The more that I've kind of worked into this message and, and researched and, and studied, this topic, right, of hurry and busyness in our lives, it's actually one of the biggest contributors to the rest of the things that we've been studying in this series. And so maybe... Maybe we have some issues that we need to deal with, right? Why is it so hard for me to slow down and rest? And when I do, why do I feel so guilty about doing it? Maybe it's this question, am I living the right way if this is how I feel? Or is there a better way of doing life? Do I need to learn a different pace, a different rhythm to life? See, I'm confident that most of you can relate to this. John Mark Comer, in his fantastic book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, I can't recommend that book high enough, especially if you deal with this in your life um, with us. He gives kind of a brief history of where hurry came from and how it entered into our culture, and then kind of gives us this overview or this almost a quiz on how we can tell how much busyness or, or hurry, where our levels are. And so he said this, he, he said approximately 200 B.C., that there were writers that were already starting to write and complain about the new technology that was happening in their lives called the sundial and how it was ruining society. Then you fast forward to 1370. In 1370, the first clock tower was built in Germany. This was the, the first time that they were able to begin to study time, to measure time, to cut up time. See, before that, time was natural. You went to bed with the moon, you rose with the sun. The summer days were longer and busier, winter days shorter and slower. Now people were measuring their time. Fast forward a little bit more, 1870 and Edison and the light bulb. And now all of a sudden we have the opportunity to stay up past sunset and we can extend our days and our nights became shorter and shorter. I read this, it, was, it, it kind of blew my mind. Before Edison, before that light bulb was created, the, the people in that time, their average sleep patterns, they would sleep for an average of 11 hours per night, 11 hours. Some of you are parents with young kids. You haven't had that in a month, right? You're like, I don't even know if I can count to 11 anymore, right? It's been, it's been that long without sleep. And then things radically changed not too long ago. In fact, the year was 2007. And that is when a guy named Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone into the wild, right? And, and, and this is a quote that Comer says in, in his book. He says, psychologists make the point that the vast majority of America's relationship to their phones falls at least under the category of compulsion. That I have to check and see what that last text was, right? I have to see if anyone liked my post on, on Instagram. I have to see if anyone needs me on email. And, and I think if we are honest, we all could admit and agree that we have moved far past com compulsion, right? And we are planted firmly into straight-on addiction. In fact, that's what Chase is going to talk about as he closes out this series next week. See, we know that something is deeply wrong. We know the speed of our life. It is out of control, and, and it's even dangerous for us. And more and more experts are weighing in on this. Psychologists and, and mental health experts, they've actually now called this an epidemic. And the epidemic that they've called it is hurry sickness. And here's what it means. It's a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. So we've gotten used to this pace that we have to perform things faster and faster and faster. And when we can't, when there's a delay, we get frustrated as a result. Can anybody relate to that? Right? Does that feel like your life? 
Let me give you Comer's quiz, kind of his little assessment, right, to help you kind of understand, evaluate how much busyness, how much hurry you have going on in your life. Here's his kind of top 10 list. The first is this irritability. You get mad, you get frustrated, or just annoyed way too easily, right? Now, you don't have to put your hand up for this, and, and remember, you're only answering for yourself, not your spouse, right? This isn't one of those, I hope they're listening to this message. This is, this is for you. Second one is this, hypersensitivity. All it takes is a minor comment, right? A, a grumpy email or a little turn of events just to, to set you off. Number three, restlessness. When you actually do try to slow down and rest, you can't. Number four, workaholism, right? Or, or maybe you could just even say this is as nonstop activity. If you're a student or, or you're a stay-at-home parent, right? you just don't know when to stop. Or worse, you can't stop when you try. And at the end of the day, you, you just have nothing left for your spouse, for your kids, for your friends, your small group, for yourself. Number five, emotional numbness. You don't have the capacity to feel others' pain or even your own pain. Number six, out of order priorities. You get sucked into the urgent, not the important things in life. Number seven, lack of care for your body. Right? You don't take the time or make the time to, to sleep eight hours, to go outside, get a little vitamin D, to exercise daily, to eat healthy, home-cooked food. Number eight, escapist behaviors. When we're too tired, we turn to the distraction of choice, right? The, the socially acceptable addictions like overeating or overdrinking or binge-watching something on Netflix or social media or looking at porn or whatever it might be for us. Number nine, slippage of spiritual disciplines. When we get over busy, the things that truly give us life are the first to go instead of the first go-to in our lives. And the last one is isolation. You feel disconnected from God, disconnected from others, even disconnected from your own soul. So how'd you score? Six, seven, eight? Some of you may be even higher than that. Don't worry, okay? Don't worry about this. This is not meant to make you feel guilty. This is not meant to make you feel shame. One is, is it's not helpful. It's rarely from God. And that's not my agenda in this message. But here's the point. The point is that we have to recognize that we are over busy, right? That, that our hurried life has become normal for us. And we know that there's something wrong. The problem is, is that most of us just don't know how to fix it. And here's what the answer is not. It is not just a little bit more time, right? But we say that. We say, man, if I just had a couple more hours in the day, if I had just another day in the week, if the weekend was just a little bit longer. But here's the reality. We would just fill it up with more stuff. The solution is this. It's to slow down. It's to simplify our lives and to center them around the things that really matter for us. See, that's why Jesus didn't offer us an escape. The, the amazing part about Jesus is he offers us something even better. When, when you look at the stories of Jesus, right, what you see is you see his joy and his peace in uncertainty. You see it when he's being opposed by others. When things seem out of control and chaotic, he never loses that. What you see in Jesus' life is how in the moment he always is. He's not paralyzed by the past. He's not worried about the future. He's just always there in the moment. You see his slower pace. See, Jesus invited us to a full life. In fact, this is what it says in John 10. He said, I came that you can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. I want that life. 
I need that life. And I think all of us would say that we want that too. So here's the question. To get Jesus' life, am I willing to adopt his lifestyle? Now, for those of you that are too busy to listen anymore to the rest of this, let me give you the bottom line right before you check out. It's this. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, then you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And I want to show you what that looks like. I want to show you how we can practically live that out in, in our lives. See, Jesus' schedule was full, but he was never hurried. As I began studying for this message, right, not just the things that Jesus said, but the, the things that Jesus did, the way that he lived his life, it was amazing. He, he was never rushed, ever, anywhere that he goes, right? In fact, over and over and over again in the Gospels, there is this phrase that says, as Jesus walked along. I mean, he's God, right? I mean, if anyone could have like brought a horse on the scene, like so I can get to that town faster or get to this, this place or, or built a helicopter or, or just kind of did like the teleportation thing, like, like I'm gone from here and I show up here. There's one story about that, but that's for a very specific um, circumstance in there. Jesus never ran. You look it up. You read the Gospels. No accounts ever where Jesus ran. ran. He, he's never hustling anywhere, right? There's no alarms that he has set going off telling him he needs to go to the next place. He never seems busy, not like I'm busy. He always seems relaxed. I'm not relaxed. He, he's saying things like, don't worry about tomorrow, right? And I'm obsessing over what's going to happen tomorrow in my life. He was always focused in the moment. In fact, look at what it says in Matthew 6, verse 34. He said, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble, that's enough for today. Jesus made several statements just like this about how we can live our lives, right? What the pace should look like, what the rhythm should look like that is healthy, but still allows us to accomplish unbelievable things in our lives. And I want to show you an example of that, an example of how Jesus lived and a few observations that come out of that. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter one, and we're going to pick it up in verse 35. And, and let me just kind of set up where it is, right? We've got Jesus. This is really kind of the beginning of his kind of public ministry. He's been baptized. He went out into the wilderness. He was tempted for 40 days by, by the devil. He's come back. He's chosen his disciples. He's begun uh, his public ministry of teaching and miracles. He is healing people. He's removing demons. All of this is happening in just the first couple, this first chapter of Mark even, right? And so there's a lot of activity, which means there are crowds that are beginning to notice. There are crowds that are gathering around. There are crowds that are seeing the things that Jesus is doing and, and the life-changing stuff that they have never seen before. And they want to be around it and they want to be a part of it and they want to experience it. And so there is a lot going on around Jesus. Look what happens in verse 35. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That, guys, that is why I came. And so he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. So here's the first thing that we learn from Jesus' life. Jesus made first thing first. See, Jesus prioritized his relationship with God. Now, I know some of you are, are, are kind of 
you're getting a little twitchy right now, right? Because it doesn't say first things first, right? You're like, that, that's wrong, Donnie. The saying is first things first. No, I, I specifically put it this way, first thing first. I love what Rashab Dasani said about this. He, he talk, wrote this article about priority is a singular word. And, and he wrote this, there is no single word more misconstrued in life today than the word priority. By definition, priority is a singular word. Now, the word um, came into the English language only a few hundred years ago. And in its primary definition, it was singular, and it meant this, very first or prior thing. It's only in the last century, less than a hundred years since, right, that we have taken this word that has a singular meaning, and we, we made a new word, right, that has plural meaning to it. And now, all of a sudden, we talk about our priorities. Somehow, we fooled ourselves into thinking that we can have more than a singular priority at any given time. Having multiple priorities gives us this false notion that we can do everything. And the truth is, is that we can't. So here's the thing. When we say we have multiple priorities— what we're really saying is that nothing is a priority. If everything is important, then nothing really is important. In other words, we haven't taken the time to discover our single true priority. See, the first thing that, that Jesus shows us is to prioritize what is most important. And can I give you a little hint? It's, it's not checking your email first thing in the morning. Right? It's, not, it's not seeing how the West Coast responded to that late night post that you put on there right before going to bed. It's not the stock market. And is it up or is it down? What, what's it looking like this morning? Can, can I say this? And this might be blasphemy for some of you. It's not even that first cup of coffee in the morning. That's not the priority. As followers of Jesus, it is spending time with the creator of everything, thanking him for the rest that he gave you last night. Thanking him for, the, the, for waking you up today and, and, and showing you that you've got a, another day on this planet, right? It's giving him your day's agenda and your meetings and your worries and your relationships. It's taking time to, to read what he has already told us in his word and then spending time sitting in silence and just listening to what it is that he wants to say to me for today. That is your priority. Look at verse 35. Before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and he went out to an isolated place to pray. See, for Jesus, it was a time in prayer. It was, it was a time alone, early. We don't even know what time it is that Jesus got up, but it's before the sun gets up, right? Jesus is already up and he's spending time with God. Before everything else on his to-do list, he says, I need to be with my father. Before he was needed by anyone else, before he tried to do anything on his own, in his own wisdom, in his own strength, and I read that and I say, man, if, if that's what Jesus needed, how much more do I need that in my life? Do you know what the principle at play here is? It's the principle of the tithe. And I know some of you are like, see, there you go. You pastors, you're always turning it back around to money, right? Hold on, Skippy, right? Like that's not, that's not what we're talking about here. Here's what this means. The principle of the tithe is this, is to give back to God the first 10% of everything. It's to give your best first, and then you live with what you have left over. So yes, that applies to our money, but it also applies to our time. It applies to our relationship with God as well. See, I want to make sure that we're clear here. 
For most of us, this probably will be something that we set aside, that we do in the morning, that it's the first thing that we do. But that might not be true for everybody, and I don't want, I don't want to make mornings a legalistic thing here. For those of you that your best time with God, it would be during your lunch break, that's fine. You, you go ahead and do that. For those of you that maybe your job requires you to work a switch between day shifts and, and night shifts, and so you're always flexing, that's okay. Just make sure you prioritize that time with God. For those of you that are night owls, and, and you get a second wind, and the house is quiet and you're alone and that's a good time for you. Go ahead and do that. Just understand that when you're in your 40s, you'll begin to fall asleep at 8.30, but that's okay. Like you can adjust, you can adjust that then. The principle is the same. You give God your best. You make him your priority because what you give your attention to is the person that you will become. Here's the second thing. Jesus took control of his schedule. Now, we don't know how long Jesus is up there praying, right? We, we don't know what that looks like exactly, but eventually his friends went looking for him. Look at verse 36. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever woken up and, uh, and have like your four-year-old like face right in front of you, like staring at you? Have you, ever, have you ever experienced? It is like the freakiest thing, right? I mean, it scares you. It scares you half to death. And then you start to wonder like weird things like they could have taken me out in the middle of the night, right? If they were, if they were smart enough, like fortunately they're not, but that's just, it's just weird. Or, or maybe you've woken up to a baby crying. Maybe you've woken up to your dog licking your face or, or that same four-year-old. There's just something about four-year-olds. I don't know. They're just kind of weird. Um, how many of you have been woken up by a phone call, like an emergency, or, or been met by someone at work that says, we need something from you immediately for the presentation this morning, or woken up to the pressure of a test or an exam or a final first thing in the morning? So here's the point. There is always someone. There is always something that is looking for you that is wanting your time. Look at verse 37. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Everyone is looking for you. We, we've got plans for you today, Jesus. Here's what we kind of put down. We thought maybe you would do some healings in the morning, right? And we thought maybe kick out some demons in the afternoon. Maybe a little bit of teaching somewhere sprinkled in there. We thought you would do another one of those miracles where you make us lunch. We liked that one. And oh, we love the water to wine thing. Yeah, if you can make sure that that happens as well. So we've got your day planned out for you, Jesus. We've all been looking for you. If you don't take control of your schedule, the reality is this, is that someone else will. That's why Jesus got up early. That's why Jesus went out by himself. He controlled his schedule. One of the quickest ways for us to get to a place of hurried busyness, chaos in our lives is when we give up control of our time. And I know what some of you, probably most of you are thinking, because it's the same thing that I was thinking as I was writing this and working through this. But hold on, there's a lot of time in my life that I don't, I don't have control over. I don't get a say in that. And I thought that was true until I began doing a little bit of research and, and uh, thinking through some of these things. You know what the truth is? We actually have control over more of our time than we think. Here's the deal. If God, by his grace, gives us an entire week, right, we all have 168 hours. It doesn't matter how much you make. It doesn't matter where you live. We're all equal in that 168 hours. Now, let's assume that we work a 40-hour week, right? And so you can subtract 40 hours from there. You still have 128 hours. 
Now, what research shows as I was looking into this is actually, on average, most people believe that there's about 10 to 12 hours of our work day, of our work 40 hours, that is actually controlled by our bosses in terms of their meetings or what they have scheduled for us. And I get it. Some of you have jobs that maybe is a little bit more than that. If you don't check the boxes, you don't get paid. I totally understand that. So let's assume, okay, 40 hours, you can't control any of that. That still leaves you with 128 hours. Now, I know many of us have kids, right? And, and that becomes a, a wild card in this. But you begin to do the math and you recognize that you actually have more control over your time than you think. I want to say this very respectfully. You have time for what you choose to have time for. Can I give you a couple stats real quick? These kind of blew me away. Social media. The average person spends 706 hours a year on social media. The average person. Some of you are way above average, right? <laughs> That's not a good thing, but you're, you're, above, you're above average. So, so in my mind, I'm like, okay, I got to figure that out. I got to compare that to something. And so um, started working the math, right? A traditional workday, we say that it's an eight-hour workday. And so you take 706 hours on social media and you divide that by an eight-hour workday. And here's what you get. Approximately four and a half months of working hours on social media a year. How about television? Television is a little worse. Actually, it's a lot worse. Over 2,700 hours binge-watching things on Netflix or wherever it is that you, you stream your stuff from. You want one more? Where are my guys at? Guys, like a little PlayStation? little Xbox, right? Some of you guys have like some spaceships you've built in your house that have like lights and hum so you can play like online games. If you're old like me, it was like Nintendo and Atari, whatever it is. Here's the stat. The average guy by the age of 21 spends, guess what? over 10,000 hours playing video games. You know what you can do with 10,000 hours? If you got a, just a part-time job at $10 an hour, that's $100,000 that you could make. If you're an average reader, you could read about 2,000 books. 10,000 hours would make you pretty much an expert in any skill, any sport, any, anything that you wanted to pursue. You could uh, read the entire New Testament in that time. You could get your pilot's license. You could actually get your undergraduate and your graduate degree in 10,000 hours. If you don't control your time, if you don't control your schedule, someone or something else will. Which leads to the third observation from Jesus' life. It's this, Jesus said no. And again, some of you got a little bit of a twitch going on, right? Because we don't like that word, right? Where, where are my people pleasers at? People pleasers? Yeah. It's okay. I'm the, like the captain of the team. We're, we're good here. Here's how you know if you're a people pleaser, right? When you say, somebody asks you to do something, you say yes, and then immediately you're like, oh, I wish I hadn't said that, right? Like, you, congratulations. You are, you're a people pleaser. Now, the truth is all of us want to be liked. We all want to be loved. So we all deal with this in, in, in different ways. But here's another one of the quickest ways to busyness in our lives, it's by saying yes to everything. We have to learn to set boundaries in our lives. Can I give you a life lesson? And this actually comes out of the Bible. I just, because of time, I didn't have time to, we don't have time to look at the verses that, that kind of set this up. But here's the principle. It's always easier to get into things than it is to get out of things. You want proof of that? It's easier to get into debt than it is to get out of debt. It's easier to get into relationships than it is to get out of relationships. Some of you are going to have an awkward ride home from this today, right? It's easier to get into trouble, which I might have just done right there, than it is to get out of trouble, right? It's easier to gain weight than it is to lose weight. It's easier to fill your schedule than it is to fulfill your schedule. Look at verse 38. But Jesus replied, 
We must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. Why? Because that is why I came. Everyone wanted Jesus to fulfill their agendas, and Jesus said, no. No, that's not what we're going to do. It's not how I'm going to spend my day, right? Instead, we're going to do the things that I came here to do. Can I give you a helpful strategy? Here, here's this, okay? What I want you to do is I want you to choose your top three priorities. I know it's not a word. I just wanted to test you to see if any of you were listening earlier. Okay, three things that are very important to you. I want you to, to come up with those and, and write, them, write them down, right? Post them somewhere. Post them uh, on your bathroom mirror. Put it on your lock screen of your phone, on your, on your laptop, on your car dashboard, wherever it is. But you post those priorities, the things that you want to put most of your time and your energy into because you're going to get the most reward back from those. And when someone comes and says, would you do this? You filter it through those three things. And if it will help you move towards those things that you think are very important for you in your life, then you say yes. And if it doesn't, then you say no, just like Jesus did. Here's the fourth one. Jesus did what God led him to do. And here's how these the three and four, how they tie together. See, when we say no to things, even good things in our lives, what it does is it creates this thing called margin that allows us to say yes to the best things. Look at verse 39. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus knew why he was there. In fact, look at what he says in, in Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus said this. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and I am gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden that I give you is light. Now, if you're not a farmer or you're not sure what a, a yoke is, that may sound kind of weird. I actually have a, a picture of one so you can see. It's really just a wooden cross piece, right, that joined two animals together so that they could work together so that they could accomplish more. And when these two animals are yoked together, what it also means is that they have to go at the same pace, right? One can't go faster than the other. They, they walk together, they work together, they pull together, they carry together, they do everything together. Here's what Jesus, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you weren't made to carry everything yourself. See, what's interesting about yokes is there was no such thing as a single yoke. It was always to join two animals together. What Jesus is saying here is he's saying, I'm asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to join me because I want to help carry the weight. I want to help carry the burden, the stress that you're feeling in your life. I want to come alongside and help you with that. And not only that, but if you will trust me, let me set the pace. Let me show you how to do life in a healthy way. Let me show you how we can still accomplish more than you would ever ask for or imagine, but, but do it in a way that is healthy for your soul. Now think about this. If you're locked into a yoke with God, there's really only two options, right? The first option is this, is you can push. You, know, you can try to force your plans. You can try to, to get your ways. You can push your desires. You can do it in your strength with your limited ability. Is anyone else just tired just thinking about that, though? I mean, we do it all the time, though, don't we? that we try to push our agenda on God. God, let me set the pace. Let me just do it by myself. I know what I'm doing. I've got this. That's one way. The other way is this, or, or we can choose to let God lead us. We can be led by the God who is all-knowing, God who is, who is present everywhere, 
The God who is all-powerful, who is in control of everything. The God that created everything, including us, where nothing is impossible for him. The God who loves you unconditionally. I want that relationship. I, mean, I want to be led by a God that wants the very best for me. So when we get to this place where we allow Jesus to begin to lead us, what happens is that we will find rest and then we can confidently go where God asks us to go. We can do the things that he asks us to do, and we do it at the pace that he sets for our lives. Here's the bottom line. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, then you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Let me close with this. John Mark Comer, he wrote this in his book. He said, it's often quoted that the definition of insanity is doing something over and over again and expecting different results. But that's exactly what we do. We get a, a vision of the kind of life that is possible in Jesus. We go to church or we read a book or we listen to a podcast, right? And we catch a glimpse of the kind of life that we ache for. One of emotional health and spiritual life. Our gut immediately says, yes, God, that's the life that I want. We head home from church with all the willpower we can muster and we set out to change. But then we go right back to living the exact same lifestyle, and nothing in our lives changes. It's the same cycle on repeat. On repeat. Stress, tiredness, distraction, stress, tiredness, distraction. We feel stuck yet again, and then we wonder, what am I missing? Can I give you one simple application today? It's simple. It is. It's not simple to necessarily do, but if we do it over and over and over again, it'll get easier and easier and easier every single time. It's this, practice the discipline of slowing. We just have to start practicing the discipline of slowing down in our lives. L let me give you 10 things right now that you can do today. L literally, you can do uh, today. Here's the first, drive the speed limit. For some of you, uh, you don't know what that is. There, there's those signs with numbers, right? And they go by really, really fast. If you slow down just a little bit and you match that number and what's on your car, right? It, it's amazing what can happen there. There's one. Here's the second. Get into the slow lane on purpose, right? Like, like be there on purpose and just relax and, and just kind of travel in, right? Like kind of draft if you were a NASCAR fan, whatever that looks like. Show up 10 minutes early for an appointment, right? Instead of running in and, and praying like, God, help me to not get fired, but actually being there early enough to sit down and say, well, God, I got 10 minutes. Let's talk for a few minutes, right? To take a breath, have a coffee, whatever it is, talk to somebody. Here's the fourth one. Get in the longest checkout line at the grocery store. Some of you are getting that little twitch in your eye right now. You're like, oh, like I I don't know if I can handle this, but intentionally, not with your phone, leave it in your purse, leave it in your pocket, right? Just, just get in that line and just stand there and listen to people and see what's going on around you and talk to God. Here's the fifth one. Take email off your phone. I did this a few weeks ago. It is a game changer. It is. And honestly, I, I think I'm actually more productive as a result. I set times where I go onto my laptop and I do email. And, and when that time is done, I'm done, right? And I'm not looking at it every 10 minutes to see if I'm really important and somebody needs me. Here's the sixth one. Put your phone to bed before you and make it sleep in. What if you did this? What if when you put your kids to bed, you put your phone to bed as well? Imagine what you could do with that little bit of time at the end of the night. Uh, maybe plan your next day. May maybe read a, a good book. Maybe you could have, you do some, you know, like couple stuff. You, you know, right? right? Yeah, you're welcome. Right? Maybe, like, maybe that could happen. 
Seven, keep your phone off until after your morning quiet time because whatever's on your phone will still be there. Make your time with Jesus first. Eight, set a time and a time limit for social media or this is radical, just delete it, right? Just get rid of it. I did that a long time ago and it's the best. Number nine, take a regular day alone for silence and solitude. The Bible calls this Sabbath. It works incredibly well for Chick-fil-A. I think it could work for us as, as well if we put that into practice. Number 10, cook your own food and eat it. Just forces you to slow down. Maybe not every meal, but just once in a while. Causes you to slow down. Causes you to spend some time with other people. See, the point is simple. We're intentionally looking for ways to slow down in our lives so that you create this thing called margin. And when you find margin in your life, you'll begin to feel rested. Not just a vacation rest, right? But a life of rest. And when you feel rested, it's gonna be amazing how quickly and how easy it is to put first thing first and to prioritize your relationship with God. How easy it is to begin to take control of your schedule because you've got margin and you can flex things around. It's so much easier to say no to things because you know what's most important so you can say yes to the best things. And then you can allow God to lead you and you can do the things that God created you to do. Because if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. As we've done in this entire series, um, we want to give you a couple minutes right now for you just to slow down, a chance for you to hear from God, maybe even talk to God a little bit. And so we're going to put some questions, we're going to put some comments, we're going to put a, a passage on the screen, and we want to give you just a chance just to reflect on the pace of your life. Is there something that you could change that, that maybe would align you better with where God is leading you? What could that look like in your life? We want to give you a couple minutes right now to do that. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.